The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. This is Sportbox. The headlines this hour, Americans go shopping. U.S. retail sales jump a record 17.7% in May, beating expectations. The Dow closed more than 500 points higher. Fed Chair Jerome Powell warns of significant uncertainty surrounding the U.S. recovery as he testifies before the U.S. Senate that plays down the central bank's latest push into the corporate bond market. I don't see us as as wanting to run through the bond market like an elephant, you know, doing things and, and uh, you know, snub, uh, snuffing out price signals and things like that. We just we want to be there if things if things turn uh, bad in the economy. A drug breakthrough, the UK fast tracks approval for the use of a common steroid that reduces the risk of death for critical COVID patients by up to a third. This drug dexamethasone can now be made available across the NHS and we've taken steps to ensure we have enough supplies even in the event of a second peak. President Trump signs an executive order that reforms police practices as he also calls for calm from protesters saying America wants law and order. So welcome to the program. U.S. retail sales then, the big number yesterday. The figure rebounded by 17.7% in May. That is the biggest monthly gain ever. Uh, and the, doubt, the data easily topped estimates. It was the best report since the start of the survey way back to 1967. Uh, let's talk about some of the sectors that did particularly well within retail sales. Clothing and accessory sales jumping by 188%, while furniture, sporting goods and autos also sh uh, showing uh, sharp rises. So, I mean, I guess you can draw the conclusion here that what did Americans do during the lockdown and as the lockdown eased? Well, they went shopping. Um, one thing that isn't included here, but probably we should have put that in, is books. Book sales also part of this 88.2%. So not only did they go shopping, but hopefully they enriched themselves in knowledge terms by buying the odd book or two here. Let's just take a reality check, though, for a moment, because even though this 17.7 number was very strong, in reality, when you look at the total number compared to where we were at this point last year, we are still more than 6% off what the number looked like a year ago. So just bear that in mind as the markets get exuberant about the lift that we've seen. But you know what? It's a good number. Let's not take that for granted. And let's just flip the board and have a look at how the markets responded to this then, because it was a remarkable session in the round. The, um, we'll do the futures first. The, the impression that the futures give us here is it will be a little bit of a mixed start to the trading session, a little bit flat. But I do want to come back to how the session moved yesterday, because in the round we saw an 800-point turn 
for the markets from high to low here. And we uh, we stood here, didn't we, an, uh, a day ago, and we talked about how the indications were that we were going to get a strong performance from the markets. We got that. But boy, what a volatile session overall. We were also speculating about Jay Powell and what his impact on the markets could be. Well, he wasn't able really to take the shine off the retail stocks. Let's have a look at those and see who benefited from that big retail sales number. He wasn't able to take the shine off these retail stocks, but there were a few things that he said that did appear to uh, disappoint. Let's just show you the uh, tech stocks as well while we're giving you a, a good round look at the market performance. And notable that actually it was the retail stocks and not the technology stocks that saw the best bounce inevitably on the data. But those technology companies already d- um, uh, show that uh, tech stocks themselves did pretty well. And just a reminder that if you look at the performance of the headline indices in the United States from that uh, March low, the Nasdaq up over 40%, the S&P and the Dow up around 30%. So it is technology that continues to show leadership and a clean pair of heels to the rest of the market here. But I was getting into my stride on Powell. So let me just reflect on that as the director switches the board and shows us the treasuries. And where there was perhaps one error, uh, area of disappointment, it was um, his use of that term uh, around the elephant. The Fed is not going to be an elephant charging through the bond market. And the Fed has taken a lot of heat, I think, over why it did announce that Uh, decision to buy individual bits of corporate paper and not not um, not unjustifiably given where we are on current interest rates and yields in the market many forgiven for thinking that the fed has just gone one decision too far in terms of stepping into the bond market right now but let's um, spend a little bit more time on jay powell the fed chairman striking What was effectively a cautious tone about the U.S. economic recovery when he testified before that Senate banking committee, despite recent signs of a rebound? The central bank chief echoing last week's message, telling lawmakers a full recovery is by no means assured. Significant uncertainty remains about the timing and strength of recovery. Much of that uncertainty comes from uncertainty about the path of the disease and the effects of measures to contain it. Until the public is confident that this disease is contained, a full recovery is unlikely. Powell also defended the Fed's unprecedented move into the debt market after the central bank said earlier this week that it would begin buying individual bonds, adding to ongoing ETF purchases. I don't see us as, as wanting to run through the bond market like an elephant, you know, doing things and, and uh, you know, snub, uh, snuffing out price signals and things like that. We just... We want to be there if things if things turn uh, bad in the economy or, you know, if things go in a negative direction, we want to make sure that that uh, we, um, you know, that we're there. Also, with with the ETFs, remember, it's a very small part of the market. The actual bonds give us a a better purchase should we need it. We, We clearly don't need it now. Uh, Jay Powell there. So let's uh, pick up the conversation with Steve and Karen this morning. And clearly, uh, Jay Powell didn't change his tone on the pace of recovery or the likely pace of recovery for the US economy. But Karen, it seemed to me, and maybe let's come to you on this, uh, because the retail sales number was so important. Powell was drowned out ultimately by that big headline 
17.7% number. We're going to have a noisy old data series, aren't we, across the board. We saw extraordinary falls to the downside, but we're going to see fairly significant bounces around pent-up demand. And that's going to be the job of the Fed to see through that noise. And I think it was quite telling, the comments on the job losses. The market did a lot with the non-farm payrolls report that surprised them to the upside. But uh, Jay Powell hasn't. And you could see that in his comments about the scale of the job losses. Something about 25 million people being displaced in the workforce. And there's still a long road ahead of us getting those people back into work. He's been encouraged by some of the signs that workers are bringing, uh, that employers are bringing workers back. But he did point out that there's some discrepancy between industries, particularly service. And, you know, we've heard a lot more about travel industries opening up this week, and that's been positive for the travel sector. Restaurants, though, particularly hard hit, and that's not just in the United States. It's also across in Europe, too. So he's pointed to that unevenness. When it comes to the bond market as well, I think it was interesting the comments around uh, not charging through the bond market like an elephant. He's talking about some of the criticism about the blunt tools that have been used by the Fed in the past, but also suggesting that he needs tools in future in case we get more dislocations, in case you get a further tightening of the credit market. So he stands ready, armed with tools, and perhaps also in the messaging that the US uh, government needs to think about doing more as well, the message that more stimulus would be warranted at this point. I think that's one of the telling messages to investors as they look at the stock market at this point as we've rallied so hard. What comes next? Well, maybe more stimulus comes next, and perhaps that is the catalyst to keep on underpinning these markets, even if some investors feel as their valuations might be a little stretched given the extent of the downturn. Karen, I think you make some brilliant points, especially about the, the choppiness of the data going forward. But again, I'll just, I, I love just going back on the same line every day, but I'll try and give some different data this time about how it is very specific parts of the market that are looking toppy. Uh, large parts of the market are actually underwhelming in their performance. I, I've had a great stat here uh, about DJ Transports. Now, it's supposed to be one of the great augers of where the market goes, of course, the Dow Jones Transportation Index. So what do we think it's done since the inauguration? And the inauguration, to my mind, was back at the start of 2017. What do we think it's done in three and a half years of irrational exuberance in the markets? Yeah, it's up 1%. 1% in three and a half years. That's hardly exuberance. And again, if we look beneath the surface, we can see lots of that kind of thing. For instance, the Russell 2K since the inauguration, again, a great metaphor of broader US companies on a medium-sized level, is up 8%. So it's up roughly a couple of percent a year uh, in the four years since we had the president inaugurated as well. So hardly exuberance yet again. And as we make the point time and time again, so many of these indices are, are significantly in correction stroke bear market territory. So again, the overwhelming data we see from the extraordinary move we've seen on the NASDAQ uh, and other technology stocks uh, is perhaps skewing the picture for many investors and skewing the picture, of course, uh, for those hedge funds who are just so desperate to um, get the market back down again because they appear to have missed it on the way up. The other thing I was saying, you make the very good points, Karen, about the bond market. And Jeff, you were talking about the elephant charging through the bond market as well. Again, again, I'm asking why. I mean, on this side of the pond, we're going to be speaking to Nigel Wilson later on, who's the boss of Legal and General. Uh, and his traded credit portfolio, well, what percentage of this massive portfolio they've got, £77 billion worth of, of credit out there, what percentage do we think has gone sub-investment grade throughout this entire crisis? 
Yeah, 0.65 of 1%. In fact, so much so is the bond market looking robust without the need for central banks getting involved for good companies, for good creditworthy companies, that Nigel Wilson's talking about going into the bond market to take advantage of the very uh, bounteous conditions. So for decent companies, I'll just make the point which I've made for years. Credit market is open and stunningly liquid. For companies where there are going to be losses for the holders, well, yeah, why would any central bank want to get involved in that stuff? I think that's um, a terrific point, Stephen. I I find myself, uh, unfortunately, in your camp, particularly on uh, the need for the Fed to actually go in and and take this final step. But it does raise uh, other questions about whether the Fed is able to see a little further into the dark than the corporate market uh, place and, and whether ultimately they do see some trouble coming down the pipe at this point. And we're going to talk about energy in just a second here. Because we've seen a whole slew of bankruptcy and possible bankruptcy proceedings in the energy sector. So we'll come back to this conversation in just a second. We'll pick up on the energy story because maybe that tells us a little bit about why the Fed feels it's necessary at this stage to continue to push down the price of money. Guys, bear with us. Let's just move on and pick up on some of the other stories. Uh, U.S. bank profits slumped by nearly 70% in the first quarter as the country's biggest lenders set aside billions of dollars to shore up their balance sheets during the pandemic. That is according to a new report from the U.S. banking regulator, the FDIC, which added provisions rose by 280% compared to last year. But the agency added financial groups were a source of strength for the American economy, despite, quote, deteriorating economic conditions. Uh, We're going to talk about the outlook for U.S. banks. We'll have uh, Optimus uh, CEO Octavio Morenzi. That's at 8.30 Central European time. President Trump signs an executive order on police reform after weeks of protests over police brutality. We'll update you on that story as well when we return. If you enjoy Squawk Box Europe, check out the Brave Ones podcast. The series explores the rise of some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. Through exclusive interviews with family, friends and colleagues, the Brave Ones podcast features stories of determination, resilience and ingenuity. Available on Apple Podcast, Spotify and Google Play. The Brave Ones podcast presented by Credit Suisse. Coronavirus cases in the U.S. have surged with Florida, Texas and Arizona, each reporting over 2,000 new infections. The largest single day increases yet. The states are among 20 others, seeing an uptick after moving quickly to ease social distancing rules and reopen businesses. The Florida governor, Ron DeSantis, insisted the jump was due to more widespread testing rather than increased transmission, an explanation that some scientists have rejected. President Trump has signed an executive order on police reform following weeks of protests against law enforcement brutality and racial injustice. NBC's Peter Alexander has the report. 
President Trump today after meeting privately with the families of African Americans whose deaths sparked protests, signing an executive order vowing changes within America's police departments. All Americans mourn by your side. Your loved ones will not have died in vain. We are one nation. We grieve together and we heal together. The order directs police to adopt new standards for the use of force, including new restrictions on chokeholds, launches a program to partner social workers with police on calls involving homelessness or mental health issues, and creates a national database to track officers with a record of excessive force complaints aimed at preventing the rehiring of what the president called bad police officers. They're very tiny. I use the word tiny. It's a very small percentage, but you have them. Still, the president is strongly defending police and blasting calls to defund them as radical and dangerous. Americans want law and order. They demand law and order. They may not say it. They may not be talking about it, but that's what they want. We need to bring law enforcement and communities closer together, not to drive them apart. Among those who met with the president, the mother of Ahmaud Arbery, who was shot and killed by a white man while jogging in Georgia, today calling for more change. I don't think that's enough, but I do think that is a start. I'd like to have some laws in place where um, policemen are held accountable for their actions. Democrats and Republicans in Congress are now working on their own police reform plans. This is not about good intentions. This is not about a few bad apples. This is about a system of policing in our country that has gone way off the rails. Arbery's mother says it was an emotional meeting and that the president was compassionate. Other family members telling us the group chose not to go to the signing ceremony because they didn't want to be props in a photo op. U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is today expected to meet with a top Chinese diplomat in Hawaii. The rare face-to-face meeting was included in Pompeo's daily schedule, but no agenda for the trip has been made public. Uh, They haven't even issued a, a press release about the trip. This comes as tensions have risen between Washington and Beijing recently over the virus and protests in Hong Kong. Uh, Well, as you know, these uh, acrimonious um, uh, uh, relations um, have really happened since Chinese lawmakers passed a new national security law for Hong Kong. Washington has removed Hong Kong's special status, a move that threatened the territory's place as a financial hub. Speaking to CNBC Hong Kong Stock Exchange CEO Charles Lee said despite the tensions, the former British colony so far is coping well. The U.S. sanctions is going to come whatever happens, because uh, it's more of a broader Sino-U.S. Um, you know, tension or conflict. Big giants have their own issues to work out. And we're little animals around, and sometimes we get uh, get hurt and inconvenience, but that's just life. I don't really think the national security law necessarily is the cause of anything or the trigger of anything, but I'm sure it's one of the many factors that are making the relationship between the two giants complicated and we just have to manage and uh, we seems to be managing quite well because this is something that uh, is fully anticipated is going to happen at some point in Hong Kong. 
Charles Lee, the CEO of the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. WTI and Brent are under pressure after fresh data showed a build-up in U.S. inventories, raising concerns of a renewed supply glut. Crude stocks rose by almost 4 million barrels in the week to June 12th against expectations for a decline in inventories. Major oil executives speaking at a virtual Abu Dhabi CEO roundtable said they were both optimistic and anxious about the months ahead. That there have been and there will continue to be valuable lessons we can all share with each other across a range of critical issues. But most importantly, on how to ensure the safety and the well-being of our people, the resilience of our business, and the long-term growth of our industry. In Europe today, we are more optimistic uh, because we are getting out of the lockdowns. In electricity, in, uh, in power supply, uh, we are down 20%. We are back only, almost to normal, uh, to normal uh, markets levels, uh, 3% only. And in uh, our fuels business, we are still not to no, the standard level, but only 15% of it, and it's going, coming back quite quickly. We don't know uh, what the future holds. We really don't know. And uh, while I'm uh, optimistic uh, about it, I'm only optimistic because we are very focused on the things that we control, um, getting our business uh, in shape. So let's bring Stephen Cameron back into the conversation. And Steve, I guess I'm surprising here that the issue of visibility dogs the energy sector as much as it dogs just about every other part of the economy at the moment. Yeah, there's not a lot to add, really. I hope all our viewers read the uh, IEA report from yesterday when we spoke to Dr. Fatih Birrell, the uh, executive director, and he says, look, it's half time. It's a score draw so far. We don't know how it's going to pan out in the second half, but if it pans out like we think, it's going to be a fragile recovery. And I think that's pretty much it. I think that's why oil is trading at $40 a barrel. We're up from $25 at the low on the August contract. We're not scooting up to $50, $60, which the, of course, OPEC, OPEC Plus group would like it. We're going to see 7.2 million taken off the table per day on average in 2020 and demand's going to be 91.7 which it kind of looks like we're going to see some form of equilibrium on supply and demand but of course we've got that massive uh, overhang of over 200 million barrels over the five-year average of OECD inventories that's a lot of stats but the fact of the matter is that means it's finally balanced and actually if it pans out as it has done in the last month or so then it will remain in some equilibrium whether that means the price is going to score all over the place I'll leave that to the speculators. Steve, terrific. We're going to wrap it at that point. We'll be back in uh, just a moment. Karen, we'll let you come back in in in, uh, the next half of the programme as we uh, talk about the developments around uh, prices of major uh, commodities. Uh, We've also got to talk about this uh, apparently major breakthrough that we're getting on the science. The UK government is touting a steroid drug as a successful coronavirus treatment. We're going to have details uh, about this Oxford University breakthrough in just a second. If you enjoy Squawk Box Europe, check out the Brave Ones podcast. The series explores the rise of some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. Through exclusive interviews with family, friends and colleagues, the Brave Ones podcast features stories of determination, resilience and ingenuity. Available on Apple Podcast, Spotify and Google Play. The Brave Ones podcast presented by Credit Suisse.
Welcome back, everybody. This is Sportbox. The headlines this hour. Americans go shopping. U.S. retail sales jump a record 17.7% in May. That beat expectations. The Dow closed more than 500 points higher. Fed Chair Jerome Powell, though, warning of significant uncertainty surrounding the U.S. economic recovery as he testified before the U.S. Senate. But he played down the central bank's latest push into the corporate bond market. I don't see us as, as wanting to run through the bond market like an elephant, you know, doing things and, and uh, you know, snub, uh, snuffing out price signals and things like that. We just, we want to be there if things, if things turn uh, bad in the economy. Taking your medicine, the UK fast tracks approval for the use of a common steroid that reduces the risk of death for critical COVID patients by a third. This drug, dexamethasone, can now be made available across the NHS. And we've taken steps to ensure we have enough supplies even in the event of a second peak. And President Trump signs an executive order that reforms police practices as he calls for calm from protesters, saying, quote, America wants law and order. So it is the big breakthrough that we've all been waiting for. A widely used steroid dexamethasone has been shown to reduce the death rate among critically ill COVID patients by as much as a third in what's being called one of the most important trial results in the fight against coronavirus so far. Well, Juliana has been watching the science for us uh, ever since this virus first appeared and has gracefully agreed to come in a little earlier this morning and forgo her lie-in to tell us a bit more about this breakthrough. Now, I'm already hearing that some scientists in the United States are sceptical. Tell us more. There is some skepticism, but I think it's important to start out with the news that this is a breakthrough. And what's interesting here is that this is a very old drug. It's about a 60-year-old drug. It's a steroid very commonly used, commonly available, widely available. Um, initially, people overlooked it, thinking it was perhaps a little bit too crude of a drug to use in COVID-19. But this major study that the UK has been carrying out proves otherwise. What we learned through this study is that the drug reduced deaths by one-third in patients who are on ventilators and by one-fifth in those who are on oxygen support. So this is clearly a drug that's uh, targeting those who have severe COVID-19. It actually showed no benefit in patients who had just moderate cases. Uh, so this is important that it targets those most severely impacted. The drug is effectively used to reduce inflammation. So when patients have COVID-19, their body's immune system goes into overdrive. And this drug stops that from happening. And the treatment is very inexpensive. It's available off the shelf and could be used immediately. We heard from Patrick Valens, the UK's chief scientific officer, calling the result tremendous news. He called it a groundbreaking development in our fight against the disease. Take a listen to more of what he had to say. Dexamethasone is inexpensive, very widely available. And the really exciting thing about this study is not only that it works, but it means it can work across the world. This is a change of practice. It doesn't require complex manufacturing owned by one company that can't produce it in scale. 
Now, to come back to your original point, Jeff, around skepticism around this steroid, the number one piece of skepticism that I've seen is that we don't have the full data yet. This was not released as part of a peer-reviewed published study. And our colleagues in the U.S. actually spoke to the lead investigator on this trial on the issue of not publishing a, a full study just yet. And his response, do you hold on to the result and tell nobody whilst this pandemic is ongoing? We are working as fast as we can to get a publication to making the full results available. So yes, we need more data, but this is certainly a positive development. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.